Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. There are two primary texts that I want to share with you this morning. One is from the Old Testament book of Psalms. The other from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. An excerpt of that one we'll see. First, Psalm 46. It's a great text, and it answers for us these questions. Where do you find security? Where do you feel safe and protected? In this psalm today, Psalm 46, you're going to discover that God is there for you. If you've ever turned to God in the midst of trouble, then this psalm is for you. If you've ever felt like you're in trouble, in a crisis, in uncertain times, because your world is falling apart, then this psalm is for you. It's a lesson for all of us who, on the one hand, may be gripped with fear in the middle of uncertainties, and on the other hand, gripped with God's forever loving hand, the one that will never let us go. This entire psalm that we're about to see can be summed up in one line that's repeated twice. The line is, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. What that's saying to us is that our God is for us and with us and in us. And this psalm finds its fulfillment, as does all of the Old Testament, in the one who is truly ultimately, fully with us, Jesus Christ. Let's check out this psalm in its entirety. You'll be able to see it on the screen behind me. It begins, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains will fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. And then the first of those repeating refrains, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I want to pause here. Notice in in this first half of Psalm 46, the word fall appears three times. And these three appearances are significant. There is in verse 2 the mention that though the mountains fall. Verse 6, though kingdoms fall. The question is, what about the place where God dwells? In verse 5, she, that is the place where God dwells, will not fall. Here's the big idea. The things of this earth are fleeting. They will change. They will be moved. 
They will be shaken. They will fall. The things of this earth are temporary. But wherever God is, that is a permanent place. It will not be shaken. It will not be moved. It will not be changed. It will not fall. The psalm goes on. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations He has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. From the very beginning of this psalm, there is a threefold reference to God as our refuge, our strength, our very present help. What does it mean that God is our refuge? That we can trust Him. To trust His presence and His power, being fully secure and confident. It reminds me of some of Jesus' words found in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount are Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. The longest uninterrupted teaching of Jesus found not just in the Gospels, but obviously anywhere in the Bible. In that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like, do not worry, don't be anxious. Like, how is that possible? The concluding story on the Sermon on the Mount, the concluding story found in Matthew chapter 7 is about building your life on Him, the one who is our rock. Because upon Him, no life will be shaken loose. Where do you find that sense of, I am safe, I am known, I am loved? Let me tell you about one of our confirmation classes that took place several years ago. Confirmation classes are offered each year to young people, mostly middle schoolers, as they are seeking to become, I guess we could say, full-fledged, active, participating members of our church. One particular year, I invited three senior highs to come and, and speak to that group of middle schoolers about their own journey of faith and the impact that it the Christian life has on them. One of them shared, you know, here we are in the midst of a predominantly Christian culture about how they were being made fun of for being a Christian. Another shared, you know what, at all these school parties, I can't count the, many, the number of times that I've been offered drugs and alcohol in order to have fun. But the third said, and they all agreed, there is more fun and more impact upon my life, what happens through church and youth, than anything else in my life. I don't need those drugs and alcohol to make my life complete. These three knew what it was to feel safe and loved and known. Let me take us back a ways to a time in the first century. It was in the first century world that the early Christians were the ones who reached 
out and had the courage to bring into refuge, if you will, those whose bodies were racked with, littered with leprosy, this horrible disease that not only was so contagious, but so unclean that no one wanted to have anything to do with them. And it was the early Christians who took them in, who took care of them, who offered them a place to be known and loved as they ministered and served to them physically, emotionally, spiritually. A third story. In the 16th century, while Christians could be burned at the stake for saying the Lord's Prayer in their own language instead of the church-approved Latin, one free-spirited priest felt God's call to take all that on. His name was Martin Luther. He found refuge in a castle, and for the first time ever, he translated the entire New Testament into his native language, German, so that anyone who spoke German could read the Bible for themselves. And it was Martin Luther who was inspired by this same Psalm 46 to write his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And Luther opened the door to congregational singing. For some 400 years prior to Martin Luther doing this, everything about worship was led by ordained clergy, even the singing. You would have not had a praise team of, of lay folks. Everything was priest-only music, choruses, choirs. Martin Luther wanted to change all that. He wanted the congregation to be able to sing. Aren't you glad? And I know what you're thinking. Look, we have to hear from Paul enough when he preaches. Let's not add vocalists to the list. Well, with the invention of the Gutenberg printing press, it was so much easier for the masses to have the Bible in their hands, in their own language, so they could read it and respond to God intimately, individually. And what Martin Luther really discovered about God is that he was more than just a fortress, more than just a refuge, a person. Let me tell you about that person. You see, the New Testament basis for Martin Luther's great hymn was Romans chapter 8. I want to share with you an excerpt from Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to combine two verses, 828 and 839, and we get this. We know that in everything, God works for good, for nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Notice the Apostle Paul doesn't say, hey, everything that happens is good. He says, everything that happens, God can turn it into good. I heard someone recently say, man, I wish we could hit a reset button on the year 2020. You know, there's been a lot for us to take in and in less than three months already. But I'm confident that God will see us through and we'll be stronger because of it. 
We'll be more of a family because of it. We'll be closer to God and be more driven toward His will because of it. Why am I so sure? Remember Psalm 46. We are forever in God's grip. Now, there's something a little more interesting in those repeating verses that are found in Psalm 46, whether it's verse 7 or verse 11. Again, let me give you that that reading. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, I want to show it to you in a little different translation. You think, well, how different can it be? Well, here it is. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts. Hosts in Hebrew is the word Sabbath. I say this because Martin Luther in his great hymn leaves that phrase in there. Lord Sabaoth, his name. You've probably sung that hymn for years and never knew what that was. What is Lord Sabaoth? Well, now you know. It's the Lord of hosts, the hosts of heaven. It means that God reigns over it all. And here's the thing. If we stopped with just that first line, that the Lord of hosts is with us, we say, okay, I I get it. God is all around, and and God knows what I'm doing. God sees. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. We know all of that. But it doesn't mean that it's always a joyful thing, does it? I mean, can't that be a scary proposition? What if he's not kind? What if he's overbearing? Well, then he's not personal. We need that second line. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The God of Jacob, that makes it personal. Because he knows each one of you by name. Let's take a moment and look at the fact that he is the God of Jacob. Because I want to I share with you a little bit more about Jacob's story, remind you of it, to remind you of the personalness of God. His story is found in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, and about 25% of the book of Genesis is Jacob's story. So to say the God of Jacob is to say that God connects with us all on a very intimate level in our lives. Now, on the one hand, Jacob was a man of God who received the Lord's blessings. On the other hand, he'd be probably the first to admit he made a lot of mistakes, many of which he created on his own. Jacob's trouble began when he was born. Because he was born number two. And in that culture, in Hebrew culture, being born number two meant you did not receive the ultimate in society. Esau, his brother as firstborn, would receive all of the recognition. He would get twice the inheritance of any successive sibling. Jacob struggled with that. He wanted to be in the number one position. So one of the things he does is he convinces his very starving brother one day to give up his birthright in exchange for a bowl of lentil soup. Later, Jacob deceived his aging, blind father into giving Jacob the ultimate blessing, not the oldest rightfully inherited son Esau. 
by deceiving his father, pretending to be Esau. Now his mother may have had a, a little role in this deception. In any case, what it led Jacob to do was to flee. And where does he go? He goes to the north. And he lives with his uncle Laban, who, as it turns out, is just every bit as crafty as Jacob. While running from his brother, one night Jacob had a dream where he saw a ladder that went from heaven to earth and angels that were coming down and going back up again. And in that dream, God showed Jacob that he would be blessed. And God promised that he would never leave him. What an amazing thing that is. I mean, here's Jacob. He has done absolutely nothing to deserve God's attention. And God shows up and he gives him the promise that he will never leave him. But it gets better. Years pass. Jacob has now married both Leah and Rachel. Thirteen children later... Jacob realizes it's time to reconcile with his brother. But fearing what Esau may still be thinking, Jacob's uneasy. He's troubled. He's struggling with his decision. And then one day in the midst of Jacob's turmoil, he meets a stranger. And this is where the story gets a little strange. He and the stranger wrestle throughout the entire night into the morning. And when the stranger sees that Jacob is not going to give up, he hits Jacob on the hip and he dislocates it. The stranger says, stop, let me go. And Jacob replies, not until you bless me. The stranger says, what's your name? Jacob. The stranger says, no longer Will it be Jacob? Now you'll be called Israel. That is God wrestler because you have even struggled with God. So Jacob becomes known as Israel, the God wrestler. And he has 12 sons and their families become the 12 tribes of Israel. So the nation of Israel has as its beginning a single person, Jacob, who knew God and knew that God loved him and would be with him forever. Today, the Christian church is seen in the Bible as the new Israel. We Christians have come to know and experience this forever love of God through the saving grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. For on that cross, Jesus redeemed all of our struggles. What are you struggling with right now? What do you fear the most? Look, God knows your story. He knows your struggles. He will see you through. How do I know? Because God is faithful. He says, be still and know that I am God. And more than that, He is the God who entered human history. And He battled the things that we struggle with the most. Whether that's despair, discouragement, fears, sin, Satan. And Jesus won the battle. Here's the big idea. 
Jesus never said that we'd be free from trouble. In fact, he said just the opposite. In John 16, he says, In this world you will have trouble. Do not fear. I have overcome. I have conquered the world. What this means is our ultimate security is not in our own strength. It is not in our own efforts. It is not in a castle. It is not in instruments of war. Our own security is not in our nation or our churches or our family, not in a vaccine. Our ultimate security is in a person, in the presence and power of a personal God who is known by a personal name, Jesus of Nazareth. Here's the thing. In the midst of joys and struggles, blessings and uncertainties, God wants to have his grip on you. And it's forever. And he will not let you go. Not because you're perfect, not because you have your act all together, but because he loves you that much. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.